Hello, and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 156. This cast, as always, is sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com, with free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% buy list bonus. CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. I'm joined, of course, after a long week at GP Vegas with Ed Wynn of Tales of Adventure and Jim Casali of CoolStuffInc.com. How are you guys doing this week? I'm pretty good. How about you? I am doing okay. Vegas was a lot, uh, if you followed along with Twitter. Um, I went from enjoying the week and content cube drafting with a bunch of the more uh, popular Magic people to being hospitalized towards the end of the week. So, you know what? I think I'm going to do Vegas next year again. Uh, Ed, I saw you for a bit on site, and I was wondering how you were doing as well. Good just good well luckily there's a lot to talk about and we wouldn't be a finance podcast if we didn't start by talking about the most recent bannings and unbannings in three different formats so ed i was wondering what you thought about the modern uh bannings and unbannings first of all and how this will affect some of the prices going forward uh so for anyone who's living under a rock there's definitely quite a few changes yesterday the uh the most notable ones are to modern we had two bannings in Hogak, the Risen Necropolis, and Faithless Looting, and the unbanning of Stoneforge Mystic. Uh, the bannings, I don't think, really came as a surprise to anyone. Um, Hogak uh, won, won the GP, in the modern GP in Vegas, and it took up five of the top eight slots. I think if there's any doubt that Hogak would be banned before that, um, the results from from Vegas definitely sealed the deal. And if you read the article that was attached to the um that was attached to the announcement, they said that Faithless Looting uh was one of the biggest engine cards that had driven a lot of these uh fairly degenerate decks in modern. It goes way back when people were playing uh the Black Red Hollow One deck uh with Goblin Lore, Faithless Looting to power out early hollow ones um and then we have things more recently uh dredge has been around for a while faith looting is one of the bigger enablers in that and then more recently we had is it phoenix and then the various iterations of hogak since martin horizons first came out uh those aren't really surprised i was a bit more surprised to see the banning of stoneforge mystic um i don't really remember much about what was said in the article I think this is one of those things that people have asked for uh, for a while, and now that it's happened, uh, we've definitely seen a lot of prices adjust around it. Uh, the obvious ones are Bear Skull and Sword of Feast and Famine. Uh, these are cards that have basically come as more or less a package deal with Stoneforge Mystic. Um, uh, Umazawa's Jide is banned in Modern, so that hasn't really spiked. Um, but uh, those are the ones uh, we were talking briefly before the cast started. Uh, there's a few other cards, Giver of Runes, uh, Jeremy had mentioned, uh, helps protect Stoneforge Mystic, so that one has seen an uptick. Um, I sold through a few Modern Horizons uh, Foil Swords. Uh, I think I'm sold out of Foil Sword of Truth and Justice. I'm, I'm a little curious what the rationale is there. I'm not... I don't. I don't think that one is particularly good. I actually think the black red sword is much better. 
Um, but uh, I'm currently sold on the blue white one, so I have a black red one in stock. Um, I think those were the majority of the pieces that had seen a major uptick. I'm sure we'll we'll see some uh, splash damage as well, but I think uh, that remains to be seen. Obviously, we'll need some more modern events. Um, until, uh, just to kind of give the new meta a chance to shift and adjust. Um, I'm not really sure what Stoneforge Mystic decks actually will look like in Modern. Um, I'm not convinced that it's actually going to be as big of a problem as people think. I know that some people want to try and like a blue white control shell, but, uh, the Stoneblade decks that work in Legacy operate on a much different angle. The biggest one being True Nemesis gives you, uh... A very short clock um, that doesn't really exist in Modern, and I don't think Stoneforge Mystic alone is going to be good enough. I'm sure some people are going to try some iteration of Cobblade, uh, the standard deck that existed in 2010 that led to the original banning of Stoneforge Mystic and World Wake, uh, uh, Jace. This was when World Wake and Scars of Meriden were both legal, um, or Scars Block and Zenicar uh, Block were legal at the same time. But uh, those were the, the, the major um, results from it. I think it's, it's obviously pretty soon. I think we'll see a bit more to change in the new future. But I think those were the notable market shifts as of yesterday. Jim, was there anything that you liked from the Modern Bannings? Or are you still not interested in what Modern has to oh, offer? Oh, I was very interested in what Modern has to offer. It offered me a sweet $160 for my two Stormforge sticks that I owned. So that was pretty sweet. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that this necessarily makes me want to go play Modern, but I don't know if there was anything that wanted to make me go play Modern. I just kind of am out of the whole, like, playing competitive Magic thing, and no amount of, like, banning or unbanning in any format will... I don't, I, I don't think will necessarily, like, get me back into playing it. And that's not a problem with the format itself. It's just, like, my priorities and, and where I am in my life, I just, like don't have the time or the patience to go play magic tournaments like i play a lot of commander because it doesn't cost me anything other than the cost of the cards i don't have to worry about who wins and who loses and i don't have to wait like you know there's a lot of there's a lot of like things to dislike about magic tournaments like you have to wait at the end of every round before the next round starts like you don't have to do that with commander you can just kind of come and go wherever you want you don't have to you don't you don't feel like you're stuck there for seven or eight hours if you're doing well like there's just too much other, like, nonsense that I just, like, don't feel like dealing with at the moment that uh, comes with competitive magic. Like, I get my competitive out, uh, you know, um, I, I'll, do, I'll do other things other than play magic to, to get the same kind of uh, enjoyment out of my time. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, the people that were tired of playing against Hogak got a band, um. It seemed like it was pretty unhealthy for the format because of how many decks there were, and uh, I think that Faithless Looting was also another like pretty preempt good preemptive ban because like it's one of those things that I like was on borrowed time. Like I say, that's a lot about like Moxo Bowl, and um, you know maybe we'll eventually get to that point where we have to ban that too. Uh, as far as like the article is concerned about like what the reason why they ban unbanned Stoneforge Mystic. Um, they pointed to how Bloodbraid Elf and uh, Chase the Mind Sculptor have been unbanned, and they're fine, but not like overpowering. And that's just a natural thing that happens when you leave. Like, 
the longer modern exists, the higher the na- like the average power level of cards will be, and cards that were previously too powerful will just not be as powerful as they once were, like relative to the rest of the format. So they said that basically Starforge Mystic has earned its place. Um, being able to be played now, and uh, you know, it's not unreasonable to suggest that it might be banned in the future, um, or rebanned rather. Uh, they compared it to Golgara Gravechall, which was unbanned and then eventually banned later because it was problematic. And you know, if they get to a point where like there's some extremely problematic equipment that makes it too much to play against Stormforge Mystic, then they will. Uh, th- it seems like they have no reservations about putting it back on the ban list. So. Uh, I don't think that that's like necessarily something that you worry about if you really want to play Stoneforge Mystic. I don't think it'll happen very quickly. Uh, what I do think that's kind of interesting though is that some of these uh, announcements also have like, um, we'll say like foreshadowing of the future, um, especially in the vintage section, which like is pretty easy to miss. Uh, in the second to last paragraph, it says that. Other cards we've discussed unrestricted in the future are Windfall and Necropotence. And that's not something that they usually say in a ban and restricted announcement. It's usually just like about the cards themselves that they're getting banned or restricted. And it's interesting to see that they are uh, kind of saying, you know, hey, um, this is a thing we're thinking about. And I don't know if that's like actionable information. I don't really have a need to own an additional copy of Necro, and Windfall's not on the reserve list, so I'm kind of curious what you guys think about that. Ed, what do you think? Uh, I think, as you had mentioned, that um, it's not really actual. I just want to touch on one thing that you said um, regarding Stoneforge Mystic. I think the unfortunate consequence of Stoneforge Mystic coming off the ban list is that it actually puts a fairly low ceiling on the type of equipment that they can actually design in the future. I think whenever they do have equipment going forward, they're always the the fourth on their mind is always going to be, oh crap, is this going to be is it this might be okay in standard, but are we overtuning this and is this going to be too powerful in modern? Um, I think that's just one of the again, unintended consequences. It's going to happen. I do think that we are probably not going to see very good um, equipment in the future, at least in the near future, unless they do make a mistake or something. It seems unlikely. Um, but uh, I just wanted to touch on that real quick. Um, regarding, uh, was it Windfall and Necropones? I I don't think that it is something that you can, that you can really profit off of. One, this is fairly open information. Uh, two, it's vintage. There's a much more narrow band of people that this is relevant to. Um, I don't really see space in vintage where people are going to start to want to play four windfalls or four necropones. Um, I think uh, both those cards are more or less relics of the past. Um, It's very similar to modern as Jim had touched on in the sense that the longer magic exists, the more, uh, the more powerful your average card will become in, excuse me, in modern. Um, uh, in the case of Vintage, obviously this has included cards from the very beginning of Magic, and I think uh, Necropones and Windfall are kind of bygones of um, 
<clears throat> of more or less a former era of magic. I think a lot of people still think back to how powerful Necropotence was at one time. Um, and I think that now cards that are available in Vintage, uh, just some of the things that people are able to do are just far, far and away more powerful than than something like Necropotence. Um, I think if, you know... If someone wants to own Necropones, uh, in the event that you play, you know, Commander or something like Jim, for example, I don't think it hurts to go out and buy it right now. In the event that if it does get unrestricted or whatever, it's the short-term hype uh, will just cause the price to go up dramatically. But long-term, I don't think... And, and long-term, it will actually, actually settle higher than it is now. But I think... I, I don't think there's a lot of opportunity here um because even if it does happen it's going to be a matter of when i think this like in the case of stoneforge mystic we've gone through probably five or six boom bust cycles where people are expecting an unban it gets bought out in the coming you know few days before before the announcement and then no change stoneforge mystic goes down we've i think we've gone through this for probably like at least a year and a half probably closer to two years at this point so even if you were to buy it right now and and start hoarding copies of Necropones and Windfall, who realistically knows how long it could be before, you know, they come off the unbanned list. And even then, how many copies you actually have to expect to sell in order to make back your initial investment. Uh, that's my thought on it. Yeah, in the case of Windfall, I don't think that comes off of the uh, list in Vintage because it makes Vintage even more of a who wins the die roll format windfall is definitely more powerful and vintage right now with paradoxical than i than um necro if you are going to be targeting necro i would probably look towards near mint copies of the uh is it the finkel dual masters kit i know ed knows what i'm talking it's about the it's the deck master from one. the vault deck masters thank you i also looked at that and i was like um, why is this one so much oh it's the one that actually looks good yes the foiling is actually very clean on it, and it is one that consistently sells um, well in a brick-and-mortar location because the percentage that it is over the Ice Age Necro, um, for people that like that art, is not that high. Um, the Iconic master or iconic Masters, yeah, printing of uh, Necro has generally been a slower seller, and a lot of Commander players much prefer the very good-looking foiling of the Deck Master version. Um, so if you're looking at speculating on Necro, that's the one that I would probably target. I think I own like one whole copy, so it's not like I'm super deep on it. Um, but I would probably stay away from Windfall. I don't. I think there's just better places to put your money. And even if that does get unbanned, we've seen continuous printings of that. So the amount of money you could make um, speculating on that versus, say, something like the Artifact Lands is uh, not going to be worth it. Uh, just to clarify, sorry, go ahead. The other, sure. So the other thing um, to talk about bannings wise, because I still haven't talked about modern, is Hogak is still relevant in Legacy. Uh, it's currently being played in Turbo Depths, and it's making the deck way more consistent. We're seeing a ton of five O's across the board. So no matter how low Hogak gets, there's still plenty of room for it to be played in Legacy, where it is a very strong contender in the current meta. So that is just something to also keep in mind if someone wants to trade away Hogax or sell them to you. There is still a place for them in Legacy. However, there will be 
a ton of copies out there, but I don't really mind like buying them at its at the absolute low and just throwing them in a box and forgetting about them as long as you can spare that income. It feels like a good MTG finance strategy for the, for the past five to six years, as long as it's not bulkers, has just been like taking something that is near bulk price that you know will go up at some point and throwing it in a box and forgetting about it. Um, and there's a guy named uh, Jacob Coe who his like greatest mantra when it comes to investing in magic is like being lazy in MTG finance makes you more money than you would realize. Um, not for standard stuff, but basically for anything else out there. Um, now, obviously past results don't predict the future, but there's nothing wrong with uh, grabbing a couple of these cards near bulk, throwing them in a box and forgetting about them. But I'm curious what you think, Jim. Uh, just to jump in real quick, sorry, Jim. Uh, I think it's also worth noting that on Magic Online, there's actually a vintage challenge or some sort of uh, premier vintage event where the winner was actually using Hogak in his deck as well. I think that was last week or something. Uh, so it's worth noting just to kind of uh, add on to what Jeremy said. Uh, Hogak is definitely a very, very playable card in the older formats. So keeping at least a set probably isn't the worst idea at this point. Uh, yeah, I was actually going to say, like, he's also not all fallen commander. Um, it's a very big body. You never have to put it back in the command zone because you can cast it out of your graveyard. Like, there's a lot to, to, to notice about him. Um, you know, it's great with Berserk. Uh, it's great in just, like, green, green black graveyard decks in general. Um, I've actually, like, looked into buying a foil copy for myself in, for the future. But, yeah, I, I think that buying hoax from people that play exclusively modern or, or trading for them even uh is probably a pretty good op a uh, pretty good thing for you they'll be less likely to want to get top dollar for them since it just got banned and everyone assumes that when a card gets banned it just isn't worth anything anymore yeah great point and anything else that you want to add about the vintage banning or vintage unbannings and restricted restrictions um, when it comes to workshop or the standard unbanning? Uh, I don't I said I don't think we mentioned it, but I don't want to talk about it too much longer. Uh, the other cards uh, that were changed in uh, vintage were uh, Karn, the Great Liberator, Mystic Forge, Mental Misstep, and Golgari Grave Troll are the four restrictions, I believe. Uh, and fast bond was unrestricted fast bond was unrestricted uh that was kind of interesting to me i don't know how much of an impact it has uh fast bond being initially restricted is a relic of when uh uh the turbo turbo grow decks existed basically people were paying uh playing the uh dryad that says whenever you cast a non-green or a white blue Black or red spell? Yeah, Korean Dryad. Korean Dryad, there we go. Um, people were playing that with a bunch of just cheap cantrips and uh, gush, um, allowing them to just basically get very, very far ahead on cards. And uh, the drawback uh, from Fastball is basically non existent because you could just, you know, just play gush, replay your lands, play spells that you draw off of it. Um, that was what originally led to Fastball being banned. Again, I don't think Fastball is that big of a deal anymore. Vintage has just evolved so far past, you know, being able to beat someone down with a two-mana 1-1 one, one that grows to, like, a two-mana, like, 8-8 eight, eight or something. I think Vintage is just well past that point. Uh, I don't think Fastball is that big a deal. Um, a lot of people have been calling for some action against Shops. 
I think Shops is awkwardly still the best deck in Vintage. It has been for quite some time. I think people have just shown time and time again that being able to, you know, play a, a, a Black Lotus that taps for mana continuously is like is pretty good. Um, it's kind of interesting that they restricted uh, Golgari Grave Troll since it has kind of been one of the corner pins of Vintage. Um, I don't think cards like Bizarre Baghdad get hurt too much from that, though. Uh, Dredge is still very, very powerful, and I think it still does kind of change the way that Vintage gets played. Uh, Mental Misstep is the one that I'm kind of interested by. I don't think it was necessarily unhealthy. I think it was one of those things that creates some interesting um, back and forth uh, in the sense that it allowed for some interaction decks that weren't heavy on interaction, and I think it's a good way to control some of the more obnoxious turn one um, spells that people do. Uh, it, made, it made it just doing something like firing off Ancestral, uh, Ancestral Recall not quite as easy. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little curious about the restriction of Mental Misstep. I do think the card is fairly poorly designed, and I, I think and it has been for quite some time. I think that's why it's been basically removed from every format. But beyond that... Um, I don't think there's too much else on the vintage list that was that's of particularly interest to people. I again, I still stand by the fact that shops will be the best deck. Um, restricting little pieces of it over time has not necessarily made it any less consistent. It's basically just made it so that it's adopted in a way where instead of just slowly trying to lock you out of the game, it's created faster and faster kills. Um, we've seen various iterations of like the Arcbound Ravager and Walking Ballista combo has become very prevalent. Karn. The Great Creator has just basically created a very quick lock combo. Uh, but I, like I said, I do think Shops just, it has just too many, too many tools for it. And as time goes on, as more powerful artifacts get printed in the future, um, I, I, I just think that's always going to be a best deck. Um, but other than that, I don't think there's much else to talk about regarding the ban list. All right. Well, in that case, let's get into GP Vegas just a little quickly. Um... We currently have a TCG player sale going on because a card got banned through the end of today. It looked like a bunch of vendors um, bought a ton of cards this weekend. There were a lot of booths. I don't think it was more than 2015, but there were a lot of vendors there. Um, and I was curious on how Vegas went over the weekend for you and what you expect prices, you know, just to hammer it into our listeners one more time, where they're going to go from here in the next month or two. Uh, I think regarding Vegas itself, um, I actually didn't do Vegas last year, uh, so my recollection is a little fuzzy. I do remember that after 17, we did see a dip in prices. Um, I think the dip, biggest difference this year is that there's a lot more Ford vendors uh, at the event, and a lot of these cards that they're buying up are not being re- um, not being like re-entered into the system, so these cards aren't that people they're buying up aren't um, hitting TCG player, aren't hitting the market here in the U.S. Um, that being said, I do expect uh, a lot of copies on, especially Modern Horizon cards, probably to hit the market this week, and those cards will probably see the biggest short-term hit. Um, the sale, however, is kind of oddly timed to me, which is interesting. Um I mentioned this in one previous podcast that when these sales happen, I actually delist the cards that a lot of cards I think are too cheap. 
and I'll actually relist them in a few days when all the cheap copies get bought up and I can just sell my cards for basically 8% more. Um, that being said, uh, Vegas is a little unique in the sense that people are here to spend a lot of money. A lot of vendors are dropping big bucks on large collections. Um, and we basically are looking to, uh, for a way to get that money back. Um, so I do suspect that uh, now that's Tuesday, yesterday was probably most people tra most people's travel day to get back. Um, once vendors get to you know start listing their cards and putting cards up for sale, I do think that we'll see a short term drop in prices, especially for vendors that are going to be listing a large quantity of the same card at once. Um, that probably sets you know a pretty that sets a, a pretty low floor on what cards can be. Um, especially if, you know, someone has 50 plus copies of some cards, they might just be looking to sell through them as quickly as possible. Um, so I think regarding Vegas, those are like more or less my thoughts. It was definitely a good show for us. I was, uh, pretty thrilled about the position we had in the room being right in front of command zone. I think that was one of the biggest changes to Vegas this year. Um, I think channel fireball is uh, this is probably the best display of having an event be more like a con rather than a GP in the sense that command zone was a big deal. Um, I know a lot of people were pretty happy with it, uh, being able to just sit down at a table and just openly start playing with other people who sat down with you. Uh, I think there was a lot of appeal there. I know that in the past they've had some issues with, um, event space filling up too quickly and not really having open play areas for people. Um, so I think the command zone was definitely a good step in opening the area up for people and they could, um, they basically could play however they wanted, whenever they wanted. Um, uh, they had, there was like a panel stage. I know there were a lot of content creators, a lot of personalities around, um, uh, at the GP is just talking to people, hanging out. I know Jeremy was doing the, was cubing a lot on site. Um, I think all these things together, again, really opened up the, uh, the convention itself. Um, I think it does take away from the main event a bit, uh, to my understanding. I think the GP attendance for both of those is 1800 and 1400, which is probably an all time low for what Vegas should be. Um, if we compare it to last year, I believe the numbers were like 2,800-ish uh, for one of the events. Um, but I think that just kind of goes to show that um, Ve uh, Vegas has kind of shifted away from what it originally was. I doubt we'll ever see kind of the big numbers that we saw in 2013 and 2015. Um, but I do think that just GP attendance overall is, is hurting a bit based on these numbers alone. Um, but uh, I think overall the show was good. I know a lot of vendors had pretty good shows. Um, talking to some people, they said that they much preferred 2015 and 2017. Um, it does. They said that the show has gone a little bit worse every year, mainly because the mystique and allure surrounding Las Vegas has kind of been lost. Uh, this is also the first year that they've done it in August as opposed to at the end of June or mid-June. I think starting the summer off with a Vegas is a little bit better than putting it towards the end of the summer. 
Um, I do imagine that some amount of people who are starting school probably couldn't make it. Um, so. In the Midwest specifically, we schools had already been started for at least a week or two uh, compared to the East Coast. So a lot of Midwest college kids just couldn't go because it was their syllabus week. Okay, yeah, there you go. So I do think, again, the beginning of summer is a much better time for Vegas. So I think all these little factors have definitely kind of changed the dynamic. Um, but I think that's just that's just more or less part of the game. You just have to be able to adopt and kind of change your strategy um, because it's always going to be different every year, and uh, we'll just have to kind of see how they do it for Vegas next year. Anything that you wanted to add, Jim, as far as, like, what you saw from not being there, if you feel like you missed out or anything uh, like that? It's been a couple of years since I went to Vegas. Uh, I definitely think that the every other year um, timeline was probably better, but I understand that, like, not everyone could go every year. And, uh, yeah, I was definitely feeling a little left out. Like, I hadn't seen this much commander support, and even though I wasn't, like, necessarily going to play in commander events themselves, like, it definitely would have liked to go and play commander with people that were there. Um, and maybe enjoy more of Vegas itself and less of the magic stuff, because the last couple, like, the, I say the last couple times, but I went twice, and both times I just did a lot of magic things and not a lot of other things, and uh, I feel like I missed out on, like, going to shows and, and you know, in, enjoying more of what other like I don't want to see normal people, but like other people that like maybe aren't degenerate gamblers also go to there to enjoy. Um, since I don't particularly like gambling myself, but yeah, I definitely saw a lot of pictures and I was like, man, I kind of wish that I went. And then I like I closed Twitter and just like go do something else because it was making me mad. So um, I'm probably gonna try to go next year. I I don't know. Um, I think it's been long enough. I think the last time I went was 2015, so it's been a couple of years. I think it was 2017 that we did a cartel meetup. Yeah, I think that was two years ago. Yeah, you're right. It was 2017. I was like, I was like, which Modern Masters set did I go there for? I don't remember. I thought it was 2015, but it was probably 2017. You're right. That just shows that we're getting very old. But yeah, there were a lot of cartel people that were like, hey, when's the meetup? And it was like, uh, well, Ed's over there working his butt off, and I'm cubing the entire weekend, so... I mean, I got asked to take selfies with some people. I don't know what happened with Ed, but it seemed like it was a good show and that a lot of our listeners were there ogring stuff. So it was nice to meet everyone. Um, Vegas was just very hectic. Uh, Thursday, at least. I think Friday was a little slower, but Ed would know better than me. You know, Thursday was definitely the busiest day of the show. Um, I think a lot of people are just ready to dump cards. This year, it felt like more people were ready to sell cards than ever. Uh, Thursday, we dealt with... Uh, God, who knows how many shops. There were a lot of store owners who came in uh, from various parts of the country to sell you know, their stuff that they had a hard time getting rid of. Um, uh, we had a lot of just backed, backpack dealers, backpack traders, uh, online TCG stores that were just dumping a bunch of cards to us as well. Um, Thursday was definitely the busiest day. I actually would say that Thursday was probably n busier than all three... Uh, all three of the other days combined. Probably not quite that busy, but Thursday was definitely very, very busy compared to what I expected. Yeah, that's good to hear. I definitely also saw a lot of shops uh, selling just straight-up stacks of arbitrage to each other because they needed the money to keep going. Um, but that's that's part of it. You get used to seeing that on site a lot. Um, 
there were a ton of ogre boxes this year so i feel like between brainstorm breweries cast that came out last week and our cast that came out last week on how to ogre a lot of people got more money for their cards or they i guess the correct way to say that is that they got the amount of money that they wanted for their cards um so it just shows like working hard pays off sometimes for mtg finance and uh, yeah, basically all these vendors and people have their credit card bills due or they need to make their money back um, towards the end of the fiscal year. So it will be interesting to see what happens to Magic, especially with uh, the stock market the last couple of days. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting ride for sure. Definitely shout out to people who ogred their boxes that came to me this weekend. It just made dealing way easier uh, compared to in the past Um I know I definitely paid. I definitely gave more on some numbers than uh, what our buyers should say, um, just because it made some of the big deals much much faster. Um, because all the work was done, especially on Thursday, there were there were times when we had like six plus buyers just all going at once with people waiting in line to sell cards. Um, so yeah, there was an ogred hundred thousand dollar collection that I took a picture of at uh, Ed's booth that was completely ogred ahead of time, and it was super easy for the buyer to just process it. Like yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, and everyone was happy. Yeah, uh, that person so. because we because everything all the work was done, we just we barely even looked at. It. We just agreed to take everything, and then they gave us a discount. Uh, that person walked away with. Uh, I, I won't go into details about it, but that person got slightly less than the, what they wanted. Again, because they gave us a discount, we took everything. The whole deal took, like, maybe 20 minutes or something. We just, we actually spent more time, uh, like, de-sleeving and sorting out and breaking it down into cards that we basically put back out um, versus, like, doing the actual deal itself. So shout out to that individual. Yeah, and um, don't be like me because what I did, because I have seen a lot of the vendors over the years, I did the wrong thing. And what I did, and this is actually a good story, and this was this was even with like knowing most of the vendors, I dropped off a four row of uh, cards at Cool Stuff and a four row of cards at a channel. And obviously Cool Stuff sponsors this podcast. And so the Cool Stuff buyers that I see at every show are like, hey, we'll get this done right now, you know, come back in two hours. And then they messaged me when it was done and they told me the number and I looked through everything and we were happy. But I did the same thing at channel and channel's like, oh yeah, like we'll message you. And then like four hours later, they're like, oh, we completely forgot to start adding this up. It, like your boxes are just like somewhere behind the booth, like come back later and uh, figure it out, which like is totally on me because I wasn't hanging around. Uh, but if I had just ogred everything, it would have been a lot easier for both parties. But I was just like, oh, I've got some random cards sitting on my desk. I'm going to bring a suitcase of cards, throw them at vendors and, you know, see where it ends up. So it wasn't like the best way to spend my time or like get money, but I'm relieved that it worked out in the end. So like basically don't do what I just did. Just ogre your cards instead. That makes sense. Um, and then I got rid of a lot of chapstick. I brought uh, 400 tubes and I got rid of like 360 by the end of the week. So always bring chapstick to Vegas. Yeah, that makes sense. That is the moral of this story. People think about it like that's such a weird thing because um, you're like, oh, why do you need chapstick in Vegas? It's not like it's not cold or anything. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very dry there. Your lips get chapped very easily. Sunscreen was also like $12 all over the strip. So I also brought a lot of sunscreen. That would have been fine. I've been I've been playing so much Pokemon Go, I'm starting to get a tan. Uh yeah. See, some of us are bald and we can't like get sun in our head. 
So we have to wear sunscreen like shampoo, Jim, because otherwise... Uh, I, I can imagine. Uh, I usually wear a hat as a little extra protection. Uh, I have not gotten yeah. sunburn on my scalp yet, but I'm sure I'm only like a little bit away. It'll happen eventually. You've got that great uh, salt and pepper look going. Oh, thank Don't you. Worry about We're it. noticing. Um, anything else you want to talk about, Ed, for Vegas before we move on to pick of the week? Uh, no, I think that kind of more or less hits a points on Vegas. I think, you know, Buffett's having sharing our experiences was probably gives the viewers, for anyone who wasn't there, probably a pretty good idea of what was going on. All right, let's get into our pick of the week. Our credit winners <laughs> resume next week when everything's back on schedule. Ed. After looking at millions of dollars of cards through the week, you got any fun price trends that you want our listeners to keep an eye on? Uh, I think most of it's probably going to be Modern Horizons related cards. There's a few ones that I really, really like. Uh, we had already touched on the Hogak. It's fairly cheap. If you want to own a playset, I don't think it will hurt. It costs you, I think they're like almost like at $2. So like we're probably talking like $10 for a set. I think if you have any prospect of playing Legacy in the future, it probably doesn't hurt to just spend ten dollars, get yourself out of the way. I think Force of Vigor is going to go up. Uh, this is the probably the most painless way to deal with uh, Stoneforge Mystic, um, uh, more or less for free. I think it was it's fairly undercosted in the sense that this is the type of card that is uh, literally free to play. And it, in essence, it's free to play in the sense that it has. Uh, I think it's well designed. I think it allows a lot of room. I think a lot of decks are able to play this. Definitely benefit from it. I think if um, if you're not looking to go deep, I don't think it hurts to just own three and get out of the way. This card will always see play. There's no shortage of decks in modern uh, that are um, artifact uh, or enchantment uh, enchantment centric. Um, I do think that, uh, Wurza has a lot of, uh, room to grow as well. Uh, it won't surprise me if Urza saw an uptick in price. Um, I think these are, these are basically the cards that, uh, more or less have the perfect storm for what you want to be buying right now. Uh, there will probably be a large glove of them hitting the market, uh, all being Modern Horizons cards. There are cards that have, uh, good, both short-term and long-term value, and I think if you, again, if you're not looking to go super deep um, and you're just looking to make your magic experience uh, more affordable, buy these cards now. I don't think, I really don't think any of these are going to get any cheaper than they are, especially Force of Vigor. I think it's already started to see a slight uptick in price compared to its low um, before Vegas, oddly enough. But if, if you're going to be a little bit patient, I think as vendors start to, you know, list these cards and start to sell them this week, they may be a little bit cheaper, um, but as previously mentioned earlier in the podcast, the 8% kind of negates uh, the um, the decreased price that we might expect to see. So I think those are three big ones from Modern Horizons. There's a few other ones. Uh, some of the more casual cards, like uh, Sierra the Benevolent, the Two Swords, a lot of them are also uh, trending downwards in price. So if you're looking to just pick up a few copies for Commander, I don't think this is the worst time to pick them up either. I agree with that. Jim, what do you have for this one? Um, is, can I pick a card to sell? Because it's definitely Stone Fortune Stick. Uh, that card has been on people's radar. It has, people have a lot of fond memories of it. 
you know, I it, it's just like Jace the Mind Sculptor where it got unbanned and in the first week, you know, it was absurdly priced. I think I sold my copy for like over $150 and it was like an MP Worldweight copy. Uh, so if you still own Stoneforge Mystic, you're really not sure what to do with it. Uh, definitely sell those. Uh, as far as like cards to buy, um, I think I agree with with Ed. I think Hogak is a pretty good card to if if you play Commander, like just getting one of them is pretty sick. Uh, I don't think it's going to get less expensive than it is now. Um, but I don't really think that there are a ton of cards that are like you should go out and go buy. Um, I'll be honest though, I haven't like been keeping up. I got a new job recently, so I've been uh, a little out of it as far as like Magic Finance is concerned. So. I'll give you a. I will have a better pick for you next week. I've actually got a good pick this week, and it's not related. Um, yeah, so Court of Calling is down to $8, and with the unbanning of Stoneforge Mystic, I expect to see more Maverick strategies in Modern, whether or not they're good. Um, a lot of Maverick players like playing Ma Maverick in multiple formats, and I'm seeing some lists pop up. Uh, with like a Sully Pride Mage and all that fun stuff. Um, I don't think Cord can get any lower because of the EDH play it sees already. So I really like this as just having these in stock because they're no longer 15 and they're 8. Um, and just like being prepared in case a deck breaks out with Maverick or something to that regard. Um, so the buy-in super low, this is a proven card in the past. And I can always see upside with a potential Maverick strategy in Modern uh, appearing. Yeah, and I guess my co-host. I was. I was. Usually, I just goes first, so I was gonna let him go. But no, I agree. Uh, Court of Calling, I think, is one of those cards that's like really underrated, um, and it, it just kind of creeps up in price because there's actually not that many cards that do something similar to it. Um, a lot of people look at like, oh, Green Sun Zenith is kind of the same thing, but it's not really. It only gets you green creature, so it's it's hard to find an instant speed way to just get anything out of your deck on the battlefield. So that'll be it for this week. We'll be back with our credit winner next week. Where can people go ahead and find you guys? Uh, so real quick, I just had a question for you before we actually uh, wrap up. You had posted on your Twitter that uh, at the the uh, at Missouri MTG, um, you said you would be posting occasionally regarding your events and some deals, and then you'll be going silent at the end of the year. It, oh yeah i figured people would ask about yes that. i'm sure since people are gonna be asking what is actually the future of the podcast going to look like podcast will still be the same i'll still be on you'll still be on but you just won't yeah you just won't be it just won't be on twitter okay on that account only through the end of the year because i probably won't have uh any desire to talk about magic outside of the podcast i will still keep up on uh finance trends but yeah Right. I figured that enough people would were inquiring that it's probably worth mentioning here. Uh, with that, I am Edwin. You guys can find me on Twitter at Edwin13. I will be in... Where am I going to be this week? I will be home. That's kind of odd. Uh, I'm actually trying to find... Yeah, I'm actually trying to find uh, tickets to get to PAX this weekend. So if anyone's there, I will hopefully see you there. Uh, and then Indianapolis and Atlanta for September. Yes, that's my schedule. My name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at PHROSC underscore, and you can find me at this on this lovely podcast. 
And if for some reason you play a lot of Pokemon Go, you can find me in Montreal uh, the weekend of September 20th. I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter at MazuraMTG. I'll be running a $10,000 modern charity tournament on October 5th. And the only other event I'm at that I know of is the Nerd Rage Gaming Legacy 5K with a bunch of the Missouri people. So if you see me playing a really stupid Russian foil deck, then that's probably me. Uh, you can find this podcast at cartel underscore finance on Twitter, on our sponsor's website, coolstuffinc.com, as well as our SoundCloud, YouTube page, and all the other places where you can catch your podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. We do appreciate it. As always, have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. And cut.